All right, we will go ahead and get started here. We are uh, discussing science in how Christianity changed the world, and we will jump into that. I will pray, and we'll, we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, it is a privilege to be together as a body of believers. It's a privilege to open up your word and see consistency and truthfulness, and even more than truthfulness, the truth. We recognize that truth is wrapped up and pushed out to the world through the, your son, Jesus Christ, who is the way and the truth and the life. And we as your children are in awe and we confess the sin that we may have now or have had in the past of saying, well, I guess science must trump what Jesus said or, or science must this or science must that. Lord, you're on your throne whether we acknowledge it or not. But Lord, we publicly acknowledge it now. Uh, give us wisdom. James tells us to ask for wisdom. You'll give it abundantly. Give us wisdom. May we live winsomely, kindly, truthfully in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So um, my, I, both of my grandmothers were pro-abortion. Uh, one of them would say she has nothing to do with Christianity, and the other one would claim to be a strong Christian. Uh, the one who's not a believer, for sure is not a believer, um, is still alive, but she's still alive. My other grandma passed away about five years ago. Uh, she went to church her entire life, professed faith, baptized, um, gospel preaching churches. When she was younger, she got older, moved away from that. Um, when my grandpa died, she married a bishop in the United Methodist Church, and in the western part of the United States, certainly that's a pretty gospel-deficient group of people. Um, so she's aggressively pro-abortion while claiming to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And if you asked her why, she would say, well, she wouldn't want her grandchildren to be aborted. Um, but in her view, that's a way of showing compassion to a young, maybe unmarried, or poor woman. We're ignoring both the results of what can happen to that woman and clearly the child. Uh, and then the other thing, a big one for her would be, science says X, Y, or Z about this life. It's a, just a bunch of cells at this point. Uh, it's, it's not viable. Um, scientists or experts are telling me this is what is true. Um, I think we all hear that and we can say, man, this is, this is not the way it's supposed to be. How can a Christian think that way? And um, I'm thankful that we have that thinking. But why did my grandma get that thinking? I would say this. I would say her worldview was saying, I do church stuff at church, maybe at times if I'm at home reading my Bible or talking with my kids, whatever. But then I have the rest of my life, I live my regular life. And I'm going to rely on what a expert might say, I'm going to rely on what is socially normal in, in her community. Um, maybe even, and some of us might be there, maybe even somewhat intimidated by experts, and I don't want to go against that. So we're going to be discussing science today. Now, the purpose of this is not to have 37 scientific arguments where now you'll just go to this place or that place and confound all the people. I, when I was in the sixth grade, we had, there was a, a guy who was kind of 
a bigger name in Colorado. His name's Bill Jack, a really godly guy. And he wrote creation curriculum. He had a program called the Caleb Campaign. And so he came to our church and, and got us all going to the, and we had a mixture of homeschool, Christian school, public school, going to the public middle school. We were going to pass out flyers arguing for creation. So picture yourself in the sixth grade. I was horrified. I mean, the thought of like, I, I wanted to live out my faith and I was trusting Christ. The thought of going to some school where no one knew you and just wandering around and, hey, do you want to read this? Hey, do you want to read this? Just seemed terrible to me. So I remember that Bill Jack gave us a training. Then he had us go to the Natural History Museum in Denver and walk through it. And we were all required to go up to, at that time, at the Natural History Museum, they'd have scientists of some stripe would be taking apart bones or would be doing whatever. And you were, and we were supposed to confound them with the arguments that we learned in our, our previous three-hour lecture. You know, and we're like 12. And uh, everybody was required to, it was part of like signing off for the day. And so, but you could go to this little group. So I remember this group, kid in my group, like really aggressively, like basically, hey, you dope. Don't you realize that this is what's true? You know, to this PhD guy. And the guy just keeps working. He doesn't even look up. He was like, says four sentences and I didn't understand six words in it and uh, letting us know that we didn't know what we were talking about. And then we checked that off our little sheet. And I, 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 I kind of put those things together because I think sometimes we can talk with creation science, let's say, and we can say, those evolutionists are all bunch of idiots. But truly, many of them are pretty educated men and women who have arguments that we might disagree with, but they might have more time devoted to that than we might have, potentially. Um, I think the, the flip side of arguing would be, well, I'm just gonna pretend none of this is going on, I'm just gonna live my little life. And I don't think there's health in that either. So we're gonna be looking at a few simple arguments today. Kind of the bigger picture of the class as Pastor Mark set it up was, how, how has Christianity changed the world? So it's not in 40 minutes, here's, here's what we know everything about science, but how has Christianity influenced science? And we can kind of have a little bit of a thought of well, scientists are never Christians. We'll get into some of the famous people in history, uh, who famous scientists in history who were believers. But so we're going to look a little bit at some, at some scripture, maybe some things in scripture at least point to fitting consistently with science. Uh, we'll look at a few arguments. Again, not going into much detail there. Um, we'll look at some God-affirming scientists in history. Now, those might be uh, Roman Catholic, might be Jewish. Um, many of whom are truly believers or Christians, Protestants. And um, maybe a little bit of time at the end of how should a Christian think about science. And so maybe just a little bit for me, I, it would be helpful for me, at some point you've come to grips with this is what normative science says. And I think to the best of my understanding, most of us in here would probably not say, well, I I, I throw out the first chapters of God's word and I, I just go with whatever modern science says. I'd be curious what pushed you to come to where you're at with science. So, so be thinking of that. A few of you might want to share just something short. Uh, for me, the, the complexity argument was a really big deal. And so I was probably the odd homeschool kid in the seventh grade, but I really liked the biology side of things because I liked uh, livestock. 
And uh, so my uncle's a veterinarian, and so he gave me all of his vet, vet books, every biology vet book he had, gave me a big old box and said, there you go. And so my seventh and eighth grade uh, homeschool science was just to read all of them. And my dad would ask me stuff, but he doesn't really like, it probably wasn't the most um, overseen homeschooling that's ever been done. But I really like biology. And so I read all those, I, re I read, I read like the four to six main ones, and I, I didn't read every word in all the other ones, but um, I, got, I got really into like the genetic side of things. So we got a whole bunch of, I got a whole bunch of pigeons. My parents hated all of this, but we got a whole bunch of pigeons and I take different colors of pigeons because pigeons reproduce really fast, sexually mature at six months, and they'll have a, two babies every 30 to 45 days for there on out. I mean, they're the rats of the bird world. So I'd get, I'd breed different colors of them together to try to figure out what, you know, dominant genes. And, and then I'd, I'd even take different breeds of pigeons and try to see, you know, where is this coming from? Because they'll have different characteristics. And I did that a little bit with cattle. But cattle, you know, it's a lot more expensive and a lot, a lot slower. You can't turn them over and stuff as quickly. But I remember even with, with reading reading those textbooks and seeing the complexity of figuring out like a cow's eye and all the stuff that's going into a cow's eye. And later I've heard the argument of a human eye, but there's just so much going on there. What's going on in a cell? You know, Darwin in, in 1850s was saying, basically cells are just filled with protoplasm. It's just like a jelly substance, that's all it is. Well, now we know all the stuff that's going on in a cell. And I'm, I'm not a science teacher, so don't expect that from me here, but I mean, the amount of stuff that's going on in a cell is, is frankly almost unbelievable. So I would say that's for me a thing where I was saying something greater than just happening to happen along, the complexity of things pushes me to, to acknowledge God made this. And I think even as a believer, I, I believe those early chapters of Genesis before that. But anything for you with science, anything push you to say, Here's what might be considered normal in our world, but I trust in scriptures. Anything from you? Yeah, Jason. <clears throat> okay. Okay, good, good, good. Anybody else? I thought I saw another. Yeah, Jim. Maybe the difference between believing in miracles and not believing in miracles. Yeah. Miraculous. Yeah. Divine events. And if you can believe in those, there are things in science that, that you know you can't really explain, but yet you understand that they did happen. Yeah. And of course, if you don't believe in divine events, then you have to reject a lot of religious stories. Yeah, it's not just those early chapters in Genesis. You're going, what does our Lord and Savior say? Did he really do this and this and this? Good, good. Anybody else? Okay, so here's, um, this is from Matt Slick. I don't know if you're familiar with CARM. It's kind of an apologetics uh, website. He's, he's a pretty good thinking guy. Um, he says this, so we're thinking about science. He says to the Christian, Science is merely that branch of discovery that categorizes, discovers, and utilizes the knowledge woven into the fabric of the universe by a sovereign, all-powerful, omniscient creator. Science is not the end of all things, 
but merely one of the means by which man may glorify God. This is because God is the creator of all that is. He has hidden the treasures of his glory in the very universe in which we exist. The power in the atom, momentum, energy, mass, time, etc. are all creations of God and therefore under his authority. The more, that the more the Christian learns of these things, the more he can glorify God. Science must be subservient to him, not the other way around. And then if we, want, so, and, and if we think of it this way, um, sometimes we think, oh, the, the message from God to Christians is, you must receive me. But truly, the message from God to Christians starts out before that, and it's the, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So he starts off, God starts off his message to you and to me with, I'm God, and I have been here, I'm not created, and I am creating this, and then it delineates in six literal days, here, it here is how it went down. And then it goes on, and hey, and, and now you have a job, you're to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and to subdue it. You're supposed to rule kind of this social or cultural mandate. So here's some scripture that just kind of pushes our thinking. For the Bible says in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Romans 18, I'm sorry, Romans chapter one, very familiar to us. We talk about general revelation we can't come to Christ, we can't be saved with general revelation, but it pushes us, it pushes us to, to him. Um, I think it was Newton that said, Isaac Newton, that said um, the human thumb, the complexity of the human thumb is enough for him to know that there's a God or something like that. I might have that slide in here, I'm not sure. But this is just general revelation. Um, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible, invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Um, I heard someone teach one time, and, and they, they basically said, and I, I disagree with this. They said, based on these verses, that if, if you run into a Buddhist, a Muslim, an animist, whomever, they know they're wrong. They really know you're right, but they don't really want to say you're right. I, I, I do not believe that. Uh, that but there's, out, there's those out there that push that and this. There's a lot of really sincere, really wrong people. And even at a more minor level, even post-salvation, for those in here who are believers, we have been really wrong about things and we've been really sincere, right? And God has, we have learned, we study the word and it says, whoa, 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 whoa. But we've really sincerely believed X, Y, or Z and they were all potentially wrong, correct? So this doesn't mean that the person you're witnessing is, is, to is saying, ah, oh, man, I know they're right, but I'm not gonna give in. That's not what it's saying. It's saying when I look out there, I should be saying something bigger than me what something's going on, and there should be some some doubt, some questions, some how can this be, and it should be a pusher to meeting Jesus Christ. Uh, here's here are here's some verses I got from a variety of places. I, I did um, um, some of this would be from Nancy Piercy's Total Truth, it's a really good book. I'd encourage you to read this. Sometime if you want to do some good reading, kind of culture, science, how does that fit? Um, 
she was really the main reader for Chuck Colson's But How Should We Then Now Live, which is a play off Francis Schaeffer's. I don't know, I get those two mixed up. Uh, Francis Schaeffer has some good stuff in his as well. Um, but here's, and then um, Del Tackett's The Truth Project. I don't know if anybody, has anybody ever gone through The Truth Project here? You guys have? We've, we've done that a couple different times, Natalie and I have. Some really good stuff there put on by Focus on the Family. Um, really, really good science, culture, looking, looking to Christ. Um, very, very good. But here's some things. The round shape of the earth. Isaiah 40, 22 pushes us with that. The earth is suspended in nothing. Job 26, he stretches out the north over empty space and hangs the earth on nothing. Innumerable stars, talking to Abraham in Genesis 15. Um, valleys in the seas, the channels of the seas appeared uh, before the, the foundations of the world were laid bare by the rebuke of the Lord from 2 Samuel. Hydraulic cycle, water coming down, water evaporating up. I remember as a kid uh, at the public school I went to, they were convincing us that we were all going to run out of water, and I remember pretty panicky. But we were—they uh, were also—they started recycling uh, paper, and if you threw away a piece of paper, Mrs. Zubrat, my first-grade teacher, would get you, get you. And so I remember like going, "We're going to run out of trees. We're going to run out of water." I'm like, well, I don't think it's as bad as all that, but it's good to take care of the world and recycle. And he was a pretty young Christian at that time been a believer for a couple of years. It's like, but really, we're not going to run out of water because we're in somewhat of a sealed system here. And, uh, you know, but we need to be wise with our water, especially in Colorado where it's dry. Uh, so that's comforting. But he, he wraps the water in the clouds. Uh, that's first under them from Job, uh, again in Job, and then in Ecclesiastes as well. Um, the concept of entropy. Anybody want to define entropy for me? A short version. Adam, get this Okay, yeah, yeah. Things don't, if you throw a bunch of blocks out, they're not going to necessarily improve. They might even break. Yeah, Jim? If, if the, the first law of thermodynamics has to do with the conservation of energy. Okay. The second law they call entropy, and basically, energies, the first law, energy is conserved. It, it changes form possibly. Light to electricity, electricity to light or heat. Back and forth, you can do that. But entropy says you don't get as much as what you think you'll get. Okay, okay, sure. Things aren't getting better per se. Uh, Vic Hearn's been teaching a class with the teens on creation. And uh, one of the things that I thought was pretty beneficial in there is he talked about you know, gene mutations typically aren't improvements. If there's a gene mutation, not like, oh, now everything's getting better. Typically gene mutations are, and that's actually a little bit worse. And oftentimes, whether it's the albino alligator or whatever, they don't, they don't live as long. Uh, so that's good. Okay, so here is, I don't know if, you might not be able to see that. Um, when I was a kid, the Berenstain Bears were a big deal. Anybody, nobody, not so much, a little bit? Okay, so um, nature's the sun, the moon, it's the mountains, the valleys, the shore, the sea, nature is you, nature is me. Then, circled in blue, it's all that is, or was, or ever will be. So Carl Sagan, when I was in college, in a class, we had to watch, uh, he, had a, he had a PBS thing called like the, the Cosmos, and he made basically the same thing. This is uh, 
The cosmos is all that there is and was and ever will be. And as a believer, you're saying, this is not true biblically. And it's one thing Carl Sagan is arguing typically for adults. And we've got little kids here saying nature is, is all that there is. So here's a science worldview kind of thinking pushing us to say there is no God. Um, there, there is a lot of uh, both, both in the Eastern and Western church hymns and statements that would talk about the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, and would say, he is all that there is, it's all that is, was, and ever will be. And we've got them pushing that on nature as normative science. Um, we've got Darwin's beaks, which um, I remember hearing about them for the first time. And can anyone help me with, uh, help the group with uh, microevolution versus macroevolution? Anybody want to take a stab at either either one of those? Even as you're even as you're looking at these beautiful beaks here. Yes, Amy. Okay. Okay. So uh, macroevolution is this cow that I really like becoming a bunch of pigeons that I don't like, or at some point, things changing species, okay? Um, which, by the way, when I, when I was in, I went off to college with, I think, 50 or 70 pigeons. I remember my dad called me at some point, hey, what are, what are we supposed to do with these? Because I'm feeding them, and there's lots. And so at Christmas, I had to, I had to get rid of them. But I didn't even think about that. That's, that's uh, college-age thinking. In fact, assume you feed him and maybe he could experiment. Okay, so uh, microevolution is changes with, within species. I mean, some of you, are the Hobsons in here, Mike Hobson? So Mike Hobson has a teeny little dog that at the concert, if anybody else saw Mike, and his, his little dog tried to take a swing at him. And he said, no, we're not biting pastors. It's a really little dog. And we're all familiar with somebody's Great Dane or St. Bernard, right? They're dogs. They're still both dogs. I mean, that's a lot of variation. So some beat changes doesn't stress me out. And, and as Christians, we shouldn't argue that those are 17 different kinds of birds. Like, it's a finch. They have different characteristics, much like a pigeon could have different characteristics. Um, the guy's last name is Haeckel. Uh, so this was a chart you probably saw when you were in school. This is his um, embryo chart. Uh, Darwin said that um, vertebrates similarities at the same age is the is his strongest proof. I better read this accurately. Um, was by far the strongest single class of facts in favor of my theory. That's according to Darwin. So this this is a chart that you would get. I can't read. Uh, I think this is actually. German, I don't know. I know that's a pig, Schwein. Uh, but these are all supposed to be the same. We go down here, we've got a fish right here, got a salamander, got a turtle. I'm guessing that's some kind of bird. Uh, got a pig. I think that's a calf, but I don't know. And that's a human right there. And so this, this was in textbooks for decades and decades and decades and decades. I mean, from just 
not too long after Darwin, decades and decades. But then, if, if you actually look at it, it was wrong. And they even knew pretty soon after his time it was wrong. Actually, at the same space, this is Heckel's stages right here, where he says, hey, see how they look almost identically? This box right here is the actual appearance of the embryos at that stage. So here's a fish. It looks nothing like that. Here's your frog. It looks nothing like that. Your turtle does, somewhat. A chicken, not really. A baby? I mean, so I guess I would, I would, I think we always need to think of this. We, we oftentimes think, okay, in the age and time in which I live, now the stuff's all true. So um, let's say something in economic theory or something in um, Whatever the case might be. Okay, oh, now medically, we all know this is, this is the truth and this is how it will always be. But you know that 20 years from now, they're going to say, ooh, we were doing this with cancer. We should not have been doing that. We should have been doing this. Or, okay, this is the best way of dealing with this. Read parenting books from back in the day. You read a every, every modern parenting book, every book when it comes out is like, all these fools in the past, and this is the answer, and this is the only thing that works. And it's even, and, and we'll just go secular here. We can take out Christian books. It is spanking is the only way, the only way, the only way. If you spank, your kid's gonna be a murderer. I mean, okay, and, and then like, wow, let's, and then, I mean, okay, and this is the only thing now. Let your kid do whatever they wanna do because self actualization is the best thing for them. And it's in all kinds of things, in, um, in social kind of things, you know, it, homeless. Uh, in homelessness, we would have all these pages and pages and pages. This is what you do, and this is how you fix things. And then you'd get the next year, and it'd be like, half of it changed. Like, oh, now we can't tell them no. Oh, encouraging someone to get a job discourages them, and now they'll never get a job. Good one if you... Well, wait. You, so, like, the, the science, this is why Jason's point was really good. I mean, observable, repeatable. Things change. And experts change. God's word does not change. And I think sinfully at times, we as Christians can feel socially embarrassed by being the weird person. And I think we need to have greater confidence in confidence in God and his word and our ability to think. To be able to say, this might be the new norm, but that's not a good norm. And we can be thinking people. Um, I think I'll jump into that a little bit later. Okay, so I'll get to that later if we have time. So there are, you can't read that at all. Hey, there's a bunch of names up there. Um, I had a bigger chart that was even, <laughs> that had smaller writing. I thought you could maybe see this a little bit better. But these are just uh, believers, uh, some are Roman Catholic, some are Protestant uh, throughout history, people that recognize God and his hand and his word, who, who are scientists and are confident in the truthfulness of science. Um, there was an article, too many papers up here. Oh yeah, here's an article. Um, so the Washington, Repo, uh, Washington Post reviewed a book called Science Versus Religion, What Scientists Really Think by Elaine Eklund. It's a few years back. 
Um, and she says that science and religion are not that incompatible. The author surveyed 1,700 scientists at uh, elite American research universities. That's a lot. The conclusions were surprising. There were 275 follow-up interviews with the scientists, which revealed that many of them have religious beliefs and that they have to be careful in how they voice their beliefs in their scientific circles. According to the Post Review, fully half of those top scientists are religious. Now, to be fair, that's not half of the 1,700. That's the half of the 275 that responded. So that might skew the numbers. At the same time, some might respond and say, hey, I, I want nothing to do with religion. So take it for what you will. But it said only five of the 275 interviewees actively opposed religion. Less than 2% of those interviewees, that'd be the 5%, opposed religion. And half of them believe in or go to church or believe in some kind of religion. Okay, now that doesn't mean they're Christians. It, they could be Buddhists. They could be a variety of things, okay? But at least half of the scientists, even in our modern times of this group, were saying, I have some type of affiliation there. I don't think it hinders me. Now, if you read a lot of modern writing, it won't say that. It'll say, hey, scientists don't believe in God, or in history, science is just separate from from any belief in God. But if you go through, and you can look up online all kinds of lists here, Louis Pasteur, Isaac Newton, Kepler, Robert Boyle, uh, Faraday, Kelvin. I mean, a lot of these are Pascal. I mean, a lot of these are dual, a lot of these are, are famous, famous people that we would recognize um, from their scientific gains in history. Um, I have a few that I put up here. I've never had rabies, and you can watch Old Yeller without shaking. You can thank him. Uh, pasteurizing milk, you can get shake. But he says this, the more I study nature, the more I stand amazed at the work of the creator. Science brings men nearer to God. And he says this phrase here, I can give you a little context, but a little scientist estranges man from God, but much science moves them back to him. He thinks almost you can be inoculated by people saying, well, Scientifically, this is true or that's not true, but if you really immerse yourself, it's your thought that you, it would push you to God. You can see him in the natural world. You can see in how he works. You can see him in complexity. Uh, Kepler, who's, who's an interesting guy. You know, he studied to, uh, to be a Lutheran pastor and ended up not being in the ministry. He just said he's a better scientist than, than theologian, but he loves studying the word. He had, deeply hard things in life. I think his first wife for sure passed away, and maybe his second one as well. He had several children, and many of them passed away. He was kind of chased around Europe for a while uh, because it, with different groups, not having the earth at the center was a problem. Now, the argument is made that Christians were the ones that wouldn't allow the sun to be at the center of the universe, as it is. Um, but actually, he was bankrolled by three different Lutherans. One paid for his major work. One of them kind of kept him alive, and I forget what the other one did. Those are all Lutherans. So there was, I, I know the Pope at the time, at least part of his life, was probably the one after him. But uh, Christians kept him going. The wisdom of the Lord is infinite, as are also his glory and his power. Ye heavens sing his praises. Sun, moon, and planets glorify him in your ineffable language. The language of, look at, the, look at the sun. Look at the stars. Look at the moon. Who made that? That is our God's creative hand. 
Praise him, celestial harmonies, and all ye who can comprehend him. And thou, my soul, praise thy creator. It is by him and in him that all exists. And I like the celestial harmonies. You know, he was, he has um, several laws of like planetary motion. He was the first one to say, hey, stuff doesn't orbit in a perfect circle. We have an elliptical orbit. Um, he was the first one to find out something with this. These planets aren't always going the same speed. And uh, yeah, certainly the, the hand of God. Uh, Newton here, Mr. Gravity. In the absence of any other proof, the thumb alone would convince me of God's existence. Strong language there. Uh, and then my last slide, George Washington Carver, the Tuskegee Institute, uh, a man fighting against racism and the assumption that uh, a black man or a woman wouldn't have the brain power of a white man or woman in the area of the country he lived in who, I mean, did stuff with the peanut and other things, like kind of Leonardo da Vinci as just like interest in this and this and this and skills in all these different areas. I love to think of nature as an unlimited broadcasting station, like a radio station, through which God speaks to us every hour if we will only tune in. Doesn't that fit with Romans chapter one of, of general revelation? Um, Let's look at this just for a little bit. Let's shift our focus from, from some of these who really kind of the main focus of the study is how has Christianity changed the world, influenced the world, um, and, and then how has science, which interestingly, uh, Pastor Mark picked a, a good book. I didn't use it very much for this class, but it's a, it's a really good book, and that's what most of the teachers have been using at different levels. But uh, the original... It's called How Christianity Has Changed the World, but the original title, if you look in the really small letter at the bottom, I had to tease Mark about this, it's called Under the Influence. That's the title of the book. Could there be a worse title ever? I don't think so. Okay, so um, let me read from Nancy Piercy here. Uh, and again, I would encourage you, has anybody done any reading in Total Truth before? Some of you probably have. Really? Jason? Nobody else here? Natalie, you've had some, haven't you? You guys, this is, this is a book worth reading. This has got to be like a top 100 kind of book. So you can borrow it from me, okay? It's good. It's, it's definitely worth reading. Um, I guess pushing us a little bit, how a, a, a bad view of science, turning science into observable, repeatable, phenomena that we can then benefit our culture with to somewhat of a God that I think it has somewhat become um, and, and, and certainly has maybe for some time. Uh, we won't look into Margaret Sanger because you guys are probably pretty familiar with her, but if you read some basics of Margaret Sanger, she has all kinds of phrases where wh why does she want... Um, why does she do what she does? Why does she want all these options so that kids aren't born or, or abortion different things? Well, a big part of it was racism. She didn't want poor people and minorities to be having children. Certainly not a lot of children. And a lot of it was she was on the very forefront of the sexual revolution. She has all kinds of phrases where she'll say basically, if, if, we, can, if we can do this so you can't get pregnant, then we can reach our final level, and that final level is 
unbridled sexuality. She uses that term unbridled sexuality. So like anything and everything, because you are not at your, you won't reach the zenith of being a human if you repress anything. So, so don't be repressed, use this birth control, or we have abortion as a backup, and, and that will be the greatest you. I mean, that's what I'm being told in 2022 by, by all kinds of media and people and, and different things. She was on the cutting edge of that. Um, and truly, Planned Parenthood has even backed away from her to some degree. But here's, so the results of this unbridled affection and worship of, of uh, science, um, there's, this is a book uh, from about 20 years ago, but it's called The Natural History of Rape, Biological Basis of Sexual Coercion. Um, I'll just read it. It says, the authors were two university professors who made the rather inflammatory claim that rape is not a pathology, biologically speaking. Instead, it's an evolutionary adaptation for maximizing reproductive success. In other words, if candy and flowers don't do the trick, some men may resort to coercion to fulfill the reproductive imperative. The book calls rape a, quote, natural biological phenomenon that is a product of a human evolutionary heritage, saying that it is akin to, and I'm quoting again, the leopard spots and the giraffe's elongated neck. And then uh, uh, Nancy Piercy goes on to say, when one of the authors, Randy Thornhill, appeared on uh, National Public Radio, he found himself deluged by angry calls until finally he insisted that the logic is inescapable. If evolution is true, then, quote, every feature of every living thing, including human beings, has an underlying evolutionary background. He says, that's not a debatable matter, unquote. So, and then she says, three times during the program, he hammered home the phrase, quote, it's not a debatable matter. If you believe in evolution, then rape is part of it, and it has in some way been beneficial. That's a scary place to live. A really scary place to live. Um, and then I have two, I have one last quote by Matt Slick, and then if you have, have any closing thoughts, uh, I'd like to hear them. Uh, Matt Slick said this, Christians need to be careful not to let science usurp the place of authority and honor that belong to God alone. If you're a Christian, you need to keep in mind that God alone is, is Lord, and he has placed the universe here. We are here for him, so we might glorify him and enjoy him forever, from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. There is no God but one, from Isaiah 44. And the question for us is, that Matt Slick writes, do we look to science as our hope, our security, and our safety net? Do we go to God only after science has failed me? Only after the medicine doesn't work? Only after our comforts are threatened? He says, is television an idol which you sacrifice your time and energy, your phone? Our pleasures offered by technology, which is a child of science, the fruit you seek more than God. How much has your dependence on God been replaced by your dependence on things? I think that's a, a good question to ask and to think about. Am I worshiping the God that's ruling over, and one of the things is science, or am I worshiping the science and see God as secondary? I think something to think about. So what, what questions or thoughts might you have? Any thoughts that you have before we close? Maybe just a couple minutes here. If you don't, that's fine. But any any thoughts that you might have? Oh yeah. Uh, when you mentioned uh, with the race that that was a dangerous place to be, but I almost disagree with you. I think that that would be a better place to be because they're being logical and they're mm. 
Yeah. I think the more dangerous place to be is when you just pick and choose the most convenient parts of everything. You know, like an amazing viewpoint that says, I have the freedom to choose my own foundation. But then they won't take the rational, original Armenian conclusion to say, then I have the freedom to reject the salvation of the person. They want to take just a Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think most of us have probably read some creation versus evolution where somebody points out, you know, like compassion is is often evolutionary, not very healthy. Because compassion can lead me to care for a hurting person. Do I want those genes in the in the pool? Yeah, scary place. I think um, and I've referenced this a few times, but one of those young apologist guys was arguing for this and you really want survival of the fittest because he was a good sized guy and he's walking down a high school, a hallway in a high school gym and, or a high school uh, hallway and uh, a kid's eating a sub sandwich and he rips it out of his hands and takes a bite and uh, like ask him something like, do you believe in survival of the fittest or do you believe in and right and wrong? Or I mean, you could use it for several different things and the guy's like, you know, I don't believe in right and wrong and I, I, I do believe in survival of the fittest and he rips the sandwich. Santa Trump takes a big bite and hands it back. There you go, man. That's the results of that. Yeah. Jim, last thought? Uh, evolution does not at all explain the origins of information. Okay. So if you go back to that slide where you had the uh, the progress or the spinal cord development. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you, you, you start with an egg and a sperm. And that really becomes a single cell as the sperm fertilizes the egg. Sure. And yet as it divides, it divides into different things. And what tells that cell to do that? Yeah. What, what tells as it divides part of it to become a bone or part of it to become a, an armor leg or an eye? Yeah. And there's no explanation for that in evolution. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. It's good. All right. I will pray and then we'll, we'll hit the road. Lord, you are good. We enjoy mining the truth of Scripture in your word and, and in other parts of science. We can you know, see archaeology and see, hey, this at one time, you know, Jericho is, was never a city. Nobody could find it. The Bible's wrong. And then Jericho is found. And um, Lord, woe to the Christians that joined in with whatever popular science said and said, well, maybe Jericho is really true. May we really acknowledge and lift up your word and and also be thankful for science not be scared of it be thankful for how you know this is one of the gifts of subduing is is scientific knowledge and and the ability to change life for people health things ecology and things all kinds of different things so we're very thankful father in your name. Amen. all right you're dismissed